Welcome to today's Power Up Your Presence podcast. I'm Diane Craig. And I'm Sandra Corelli. We have designed each and every episode to help you power up, step up, and lead up your presence. A mix of stories, tips, insights, and conversations with trailblazers who speak candidly about their journey to leadership. On today's episode, we are thrilled to welcome Charles Green. Charles is a founder and CEO of Trusted Advisors Associates and co-author of the book, The Trusted Advisor, a world-renowned guide to professionals in different services and practices. Welcome, Charles. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. We are thrilled to have you with us today, Charles. As you know, in our programs in Executive Presence, we make use of your wonderful trust equation. And I would be really interested, and I'm sure our listeners as well, for you to tell us about your trust story. Well, um, there's a number, but let me let me pick one, uh, which is in the book, I think. Um, years ago, 100,000 years ago, I was a newly promoted manager in a consulting firm. And I found myself on my first big sales call. Uh, my boss came along with me for moral support, I thought. And after uh, we sit down in the client's office and go through the usual pleasantries, pour the coffee, exchange business cards, etc., I will always remember the client leaned across the table to me, pointed his finger and said, tell me, Mr. Green, what experience do you have doing marketing studies for industrial consumables? Uh-huh. And I thought, And then I realized this is a sandpaper company we're talking to and uh, industrial consumables. Okay. That's the fancy word for sandpaper. And I rapidly began to, you know, run through my brain. What are all the possible things of industrial commodities where we've done marketing before I could come up with some MBA type answer. My boss leaned into the conversation and answered the question himself. And he simply said, none that I can think of. What else would you like to talk about? And uh, it was the last thing I would have thought of saying, you know, you you don't say nothing. We've never done it. (laughs) But the conversation changed instantly. And the the client leaned back, threw his arms up and said, you know, hardly anybody's done sandpaper marketing. What else have you got that we could talk about? And suddenly everything changes 180 degrees. And uh, without, you know, expostulating too much, I think you can appreciate some of the teaching points are willingness to be transparent honest, direct, not to be worried about getting the transaction, the focus mm. on the relate transparency. You know, there's a lot of stuff packed into there. And uh, that strikes me as a memorable story for me. Wonderful. It is a memorable story for sure. Now, Charles, uh, there are a number of dynamics when it comes to trust. So what are the dynamics of trusting and being trusted. Well, thank you for phrasing it that way. Um, you phrased it exactly right. Trust is one of these words that gets used casually with lots of different meanings, and we all just sort of assume we mean the same thing by it. So we, we talk about trust in banking is down, or we talk about trust in institutions. We talk about uh, you know, trust in politics and trust in social media, trust in our friends. And, and there's a simple distinction, which, which you just made. The, the key dynamic uh, is, is mostly about personal trust that's much stronger than institutional trust. 
And it's the dynamic between a trustor and a trustee, one who chooses to trust another and one who proves to be or not to be trustworthy. Grammatically, it's to trust the verb, that's the trustor, and trustworthiness, the adjective for the trustee. And if that clicks and that works, you get the noun trust. Trust is what results from that interaction. And the rules of the trust game, as with all human relationships games, are you then reciprocate. The roles switch, and it becomes the turn of the other person to take the risk and trust. And if you all, if you both play that game correctly, the result is higher and higher levels of trust. So the key dynamics are somebody has to take a risk, and the other person then has to respond appropriately. If nobody takes a risk, trust doesn't start. If somebody does take a risk, but the other person doesn't respond appropriately, again, no trust. So that's the key dynamic of creating trust-based relationships between people. Hmm. How well explained. I've never really uh, heard a version of trust being explained this way. This is fabulous. <laughs> And trust is so foundational to relationships, as we know. So how, how do you describe, how do we go about building relationships and strong relationships with others? Right. Well, um, that's a question you can dive into lots of ways. Uh, you mentioned the trust equation, which fits one side of that dynamic. It fits the trustworthiness side. And so, and uh, I don't know if you want to touch on this now. It seems like a good time, if you don't mind. For sure. Way of describing trustworthiness, a function of four variables, A plus B plus C over D. And the factors are Well, it's actually C plus R plus I over S. C stands for credibility. Is this person smart, competent, subject matter mastery, degrees, you know, the credibility. R stands for reliability. Do they have a track record? Will they do what they said they would do? Do they have integrity in terms of uh, deliberations and actions? And both of those are kind of behavioral, measurable, uh, cognitive sorts of things. The I, the third variable in the numerator, stands for intimacy, which is very different. And that's like emotional intelligence, vulnerability, basically about safety. Do I feel safe having a conversation about these topics with this person? Are they going to laugh at me in the wrong places? Are they going to treat the information that I give them with respect and so forth? Then in the denominator, another more psychological factor, self-orientation. If they're focused on themselves and not me, then that's a, a negative for, uh, for trustworthiness. Uh, that one comes in two flavors. There's pure selfishness is the obvious form of high self-orientation. But I think anybody listening to this one, it's not really a problem. Most of us are beyond that. The much more common disease or affliction that uh, accompanies people in business is not selfishness. It is neurotic self-obsession always worrying, how am I doing? Are they listening to me? Uh, am I going to get the sale? Do I look right? Uh, how come everybody's looking at me? How come nobody's looking at me? You know, all these things <laughs> yeah. that get wrapped up inside and keep us from, you know, just being focused on and having a connection with, with another person. So back to your question, how can we build strong relationships? Well, a couple of those components are even more key than the others. We, we've actually done some Uh, some statistical work on it. It turns out that credibility is kind of down, uh, lower down. It, it, it's kind of a gateway. It's an easy way to screen people. Do they have the competencies, the capabilities to do what we're talking about? 
But the most powerful ones, statistically speaking, the highest factors of, of R squared in a regression equation, turns out to be intimacy. That ability to have this very emotional connection of safety and security with another person. So to get round away back to your question, how can we build strong relationships? Number one is being willing to take emotional risks as a trustor. And number two, as a trustee, to be willing to engage and respond to those initiatives about emotional connectedness rather than sitting there, you know, holding ourselves back or refusing to engage on an emotional level. Uh, and we have a million excuses. It wouldn't be professional to talk about feelings. Well, yeah, it is. Turns out if you don't talk about feelings and emotional aspects, you'll never get that deeper connection. So if I had to pick one thing, it's the ability to form an emotional connection uh, with another human being. And we can talk more about how you do that, but that's that's what I've been. Wondering. Yeah, ab absolutely, and and that ability to make that connection is so important. And I'll often have people share with me that you know what I'm just not comfortable sharing about myself, and I'm not comfortable going there with other people, and so it it prevents them from really being able to create that connection and to get to know someone at that intimate level and to create that safety that you were talking about. So, what advice would you give individuals to help them get more comfortable with the idea of creating those connections, engaging in that more intimate conversation. Right. Well, that's interesting when, when you, and you're absolutely right. Of course, a lot of people will say, I'm not comfortable sharing about myself or wouldn't be professional. And it's an excuse. I mean, one of the first thing I would say is get over yourself. You know, you're <laughs> yeah. worried about this. Nobody cares really what you're worried about. What, what's important is how the other person reacts to it. So you're, worry about you know opening up yourself is all about you so stop that ask yourself what is useful to the other person in this situation and if it's the right thing to share a little bit about yourself then do that because that serves the longer term relationship and the client if you're talking in a client situation so i think you know that's number one get over yourself number two it doesn't have to be a big deal nobody's asking you to be socially inappropriate and we all tend to overestimate how horrible all these things will be if we open up and share a little bit. They're never that bad. Uh, you know, everybody is human. We can all relate to stuff. And even if you make some social faux pas, people will forgive you that stuff. We're all human. We all make mistakes. Um, so I guess I'm back again to the first one. Get over yourself. Right, right. Absolutely. And a big part of creating that safety with someone is really listening to them and, and that person feeling listened to. And in your book, you talk about why being listened to is important. So what do good listeners do? Well, first of all, thank you for phrasing it exactly that way. The feeling of being listened to, that's critical. And, you know, I'm hardly the first person to talk about the importance of listening. But usually in the business literature, it's focused on active listening, you know, these kinds of questions, or use open-ended questions, not closed-ended. Those are kind of behavioral, mechanical. Or anybody in the consultative professions, they hear about listening and it's trying to, to diagnose a problem or frame an issue in a certain way. But the way you just put it, the feeling of being listened to, that's the objective of listening in the context of trust creation. You want that other person to feel acknowledged, heard, understood, appreciated, recognized. If we don't feel that way, we we close up. Right. And uh, because there's a there's a reciprocity dynamic 
at foot here. If we feel understood, then we open up and we become willing to listen to the other person. The single biggest mistake that people make in, in business conversations is they kind of gloss that over. They're in a hurry to get to the diagnosis or they're in a hurry to get to the recommendation. And the other person, they miss the fact that they're holding the gate closed. You know, I'm not going to listen to you until I feel that you have listened to me. Right. Those are kind of the, the rules of the game. So listening with the objective of making the other person feel heard is critical. That's what establishes the relationship. Mm -hmm. So we say in conversation that the, the first part of a good conversation is being a good listener. Now, Absolutely. So there are several elements that contribute to distrust. What yes. would you say that most often lead people to distrust? Well, let's see. Uh, that can happen on the trustor side and on the trustee side. So uh, let's take the trustor first, the person who is, you know, in the position of, of trying to take a risk. Um, I think the biggest cause there is we're just risk averse. We're afraid of putting something out there. We're afraid of being wrong. And therefore, we never take the risk at all. And therefore, you know, trust doesn't happen. And people suspect, you know, why didn't they lead this way? Why didn't they talk about this? They must be hiding something. Uh, so it, it starts, it starts right there, an unwillingness to be transparent and revealing of yourself mm. on the, on the trusting side. Now on the trustworthy side, you know, quite similar, I go again, back to that, uh, intimacy factor. If, if you're, if, if, if you sense that the other person is being shut down, closed, um, uh, evasive, emotionally evasive for whatever reason, we immediately concoct a thousand reasons why they are shut down. You know, they don't want to talk about this. Uh, and, and we immediately get, um, again, that reciprocity dynamic between human beings. If I sense that you're being shut down and evasive, I'm going to get shut down and evasive. It's natural. It's at a subconscious level. So, uh, again, I think it's, it, it's this concern, this fear, you know, kind of fear is at the root of all of this, a thousand forms of fear. Absolutely. Uh, shut down the relationship issues. Of course. And and I guess, you know, if we consider the fact that we're in a world that is so connected by technology, we can often yeah. feel disconnected to people who matter most to us, or we struggle to make a genuine connection. What step can we take to effectively build connection? Well, it's um, just underscore, you're absolutely right, in, in this day and age, which isn't that old. I mean, how long has the internet been around? 20, 30 years? The mm -hmm. iPhone was only, what, 12 years ago? And uh, uh, it's really been a rapid change. But human beings have evolved over eons of, uh, of time. And we, we didn't evolve to deal with the internet. We evolved to, have, to pick up on all kinds of sensory input and to rapidly make interpretations and communications about it. And that has not gone away because, because there's an internet or because Steve Jobs existed. We still react that way. So the answer to these technology-induced dilemmas is to go back and try and figure, well, what are all the primal connective things that we can emulate? The biggest one is probably vision. So one of the good things is high bandwidth video communications. Uh, 
the, the technology is getting good enough that we're, you know, going to Zoom instead of a phone call. It's, you know, once you see somebody, you see them interacting, uh, that adds a, a lot. Backing off a little bit, just audio communications, uh, a, a phone conversation as opposed to an email greatly raises the emotional bandwidth. So that helps. Uh, and you go kind of down the level of communication technologies, lower emotional bandwidth. You get to email below that you get texting. Mm -hmm. If you notice it, texting, we've all, we've developed all these emojis and, uh, you know, we make fun of them, but the fact is they're very powerful shorthand for expressing emotions. So even within that kind of, uh, uh, medium, there are, there are things that, that we can do to sort of push the higher level communications and a more systems level. If you're on a, a company that has meetings with um, uh, people across time zones, uh, a project, uh, let's say you have a team meeting uh, scheduled for a year-long project, put that meeting at the beginning, not at the end, so that everybody gets to know each other in that high bandwidth connected kind of a way. If you're talking about email communications, it's important to use more words than you might otherwise for a lot of these communications. We need to make it Sometimes we need to be just transactional, just convey information. Uh, but much of the time, when we're trying to get something much more complex communicated, you need to use a lot of words to make sure it gets through because you're not face-to-face -face with them. You're so correct. And I remember when email you know, started and we used to say, oh, please do not put emojis because it's totally unprofessional. Yeah. And now, right. I, and I don't think we use them as much in emails, but in text, because the message is so short that, right. and, and it's the intent that a text, you know, you text instead of emailing because you're going to say what you need to say in very few words. And because yeah. we, less, we use less words, then we need to find a way to demonstrate the emotions that uh, we are feeling as we're writing this message, because the receiver can interpret your, your message in so many different ways. Your tips and guidance were so important in, in when I think about how today, especially there's so many more remote teams or people working from their home offices that you don't have that face-to-face -face connection. And so your ability right. to leverage technology in a way and think about how you're sending your emails so that you're able to build that connection through the different mediums with people is so important. Yeah, you can see a negative example of that, by the way. Look at uh, what happens on a Twitter thread uh, on political issues when people pile in and you get a flame throwing and, and so forth. It's because you have a bunch of people who have no emotional connection to each other yes. using synonyms or hidden, you know, and, and there's no emotional connection. So we immediately go to attack and defend and all the negative kinds of things. Uh, so that's that's a negative example of how important it is. If you want to have emotional based connection, <laughs> yeah, we, you need to do. we can't hide behind our screen or behind the keyboard, which right. people do, which people do. Sure. And, and so when we think about the future of work, why is trust so important? Well, um, it's it's important in a lot of ways. Uh, one of them is is the notion of leadership, which um, what's think 100,000 foot level here. The basic thing that's changed in leadership over the past 20, 30 years is it's gone from a vertical relationship to a horizontal relationship. We used to have command and control uh, hierarchies of organization charts 
And the basic dynamic was uh, giving orders and executing. Somebody would tell you what to do, you would do it. And you had dynamics, but they were all vertical. Now, people are moving to subcontractor. Uh, there are, are corporate relationships, subcontractor relationships, the networks. Uh, so basically, uh, the job of getting something done is no longer getting done by somebody telling other people what to do. It gets done by somebody who has no direct control or power or authority over another, convincing them, persuading them to move in the same direction. And if you, you don't have all that vertical power, how are you going to do it? Big answer is trust. If you can create trust uh, in that network, then people become willing to follow, you know, or to lead on occasion. Uh, so I think, you know, the evolving uh, notion of leadership is one big reason why trust is getting more important. Another one, and this goes back to, um, I'm forgetting the name of the economist, Ronald Coase, 30, 40 years ago talked about the evolving economy was becoming consisting of more and more transaction costs by what he meant by transaction costs were costs that don't directly add to the value of a product or service. Now, basically that's the entire legal profession, the entire accounting profession, uh, and lots of other features, which are additive, you know, they're, they're related to the quality of the system, but they don't directly add value. And, you know, the more complex the world gets, the more complex the regulations, the laws, the rules, etc. And one of the best ways to cut those costs is trust. It's remarkable when you start thinking about all the effort we put on legal contracts and how much you can get rid of the need for that by simply trusting. Uh, Warren Buffett, I remember years ago, uh, saved $30 million by one decision. And that was a decision he was doing an acquisition of a company. And normally that would require a team of lawyers to descend on the other company and do due diligence and file lots of back and forth. And Buffett decided, I know these guys. I've worked with them over years. Uh, let's get together for half a day and agree on a couple of the key numbers, shake hands, and we're done. And that's exactly what he did. Now, partly that's because, you know, who's going to screw over Warren Buffett? So you could argue it's a little <laughs> unique, but I've sure. in my own business. We have, um, we've evolved to doing contracts with our clients. Honestly, I, we trust all of our clients. Very few of them. It, it's never happened are going to renege on, on a basic deal, uh, with us. And, you know, we, we, we read in the news all the time, these violations of trust, but the truth is we interact with other people all the time and we can save an awful lot of time and effort. Uh, by seeking out places where we can just create trust. Things go more quickly. They cost less. So there's an economic reason for trust as well. And by giving trust, you gain trust as well in those exactly. examples. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And that goes right back to that reciprocity thing. We return good for good, bad for bad, and trust for trust. We're yeah, just wired it, that way. Yeah, and it increases the loyalty as well. Oh, Yeah. And loyalty you is one of the downstream effects of, of trust, and that has its own set of you know, powerful economic uh, impacts as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you look at suppliers or anybody, you know, you uh, enter in a business relationship with, if we have experienced reliability and uh, this intimacy that you talk about, 
and yep. we know that they're in to help you and they demonstrate that time after time, then the loyalty builds and the, the trust is there. And it's then difficult to change suppliers when you, you've built that trust and you know, you, you know you're in this together, really. You, you put your finger on a very good point right there in that example. One of the, there's a lot of myths around trust. And I think the biggest myth, and you've heard this one, trust takes time. <laughs> trust takes a, a time, a lot of time to build and only a moment to destroy. And neither one of those is exactly true. Mm. Trust doesn't automatically happen over time. It happens in moments, step functions, where somebody says something or does something, and it immediately raises the level of trust. Um, conversely, if you do develop, in your example, a high level of trust, people become forgiving. If you make a mistake, they're likely to say, well, that's not like you. That's, you know, why'd you do that? But you don't immediately cut them off and go back to zero. You give them another chance. So what really drives the creation of trust are moments, not just automatically accrual. And what drives the, the destruction of trust is not a matter of time. It's a matter of how much trust you had in the first place. Because people do give you a break if you get to a high level. You know, when we talk about intimacy, I often refer to when I help someone, for example, do a, uh, let's say they're preparing a, a presentation they're going to do to a specific audience. So let's say they, they present yeah. to the board of directors. All right. Right. And I, I say, like, it's important for them to trust you in order for you to be more in, uh, influential in terms of what you're presenting, the idea you want them to buy in. And the level in, of intimacy, I also understood that it was about um, how much do I know about this person? You know, because in sales, uh, you know, I, I've taken some, you know, like we had the this salesperson who worked with us and he, he was well, actually he's still our director uh, of sales. And he often asks us, how much do you know about that person, about that client yeah. before you get on the first right. call? You know, what's your level of intimacy with, right. uh, with that person? And actually he was the one who brought your book to our attention. Oh, I was going to ask you how that happened. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's, well, he's uh, absolutely right. Of course. That uh, most, a lot of people take that the wrong way and they think, ah, I need to research them and then demonstrate how much I know about them. And that's exactly the wrong way to do it. I think the right way to interpret what your director sales said is go find out about it. Go to LinkedIn, look at their picture, read their bio. And just so that you know who you're talking to, it's not to do show off. It's not to right. demonstrate that you don't know more. It's just for you to have a deeper feel for who you're talking to. Yeah, exactly. Because then sometimes, you know, just knowing by doing the research and finding out certain things, you you, you adapt your conversation exactly. or your presentation so that, you know, it's speaking more directly to them. Charles, I, I have a copy of your book in front of me, The Trusted Advisor. And there's a quote at uh, the front of the book on the cover page by the CEO of Boston Consulting uh, Group, Carl Stern. And I'd like to read it. Uh, to our, for our listeners, an, invalu an invaluable roadmap to all those who seek to develop truly special relationships with their clients. And I, I found your book to be so true to this quote. There are so many gold nuggets in this book. Um, 
And I think that anyone who's in business needs to have a copy of this book. So, Charles, we want to thank you so much for joining us today and bringing clarity to this small world, this small word trust, which in right. fact is such a big word. And yes. we would like to invite everyone to visit Charles' website at trustedadvisor.com. You will also find on the website uh, an, op an opportunity to go and take the trust equation, get a, get a report immediately, and find out about your level of trust. All of the details can be found in the show notes for today's episode as well. So again, Charles, thank you so, so much for today. Thank you, Charles, so thank much for joining us. All right. Thank you very next... much. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Bye for now. Every morning, set your intentions toward your dreams. Some may refer to goals. We like the word dreams. It sounds more exciting and not so hard to think about. We hope to meet you in person one day at one of our workshops, or you may even decide that private coaching is more for you. We encourage you to go to our website at corporateclassinc.com for additional resources, blogs, and videos that you may find to help enhance your confidence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast. It's complimentary and write a review. Thank you for listening to Power Up Your Presence podcast, the passion, the presence, the power. Until next time, power up, step up, lead up.